Huh? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we'll be able to look into your word today. We thank you for giving us the Bible, your word, to be able to explore the truths that help us live a life that is filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with love, Lord. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit this morning would minister to each and every one that is here, that we would be able to grow in your word and grow in the knowledge of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's give a round for Vernon. Amen. <laughs> for announcements today. <laughs> hey, we love Vernon. And just so you know, Vernon will be preaching in a couple weeks. So not only will I let him do announcements again, I'll even let him preach. So, so in two weeks, he'll be preaching. So come on out and support him as he's got a message God's laid on his heart. One other announcement that isn't Vernon's fault, it's probably mine, and that is next Sunday night we are having a community Thanksgiving service with churches from Orland Park, Tinley Park, Orland Hills. Uh, our church is going to be a part of that. We will be doing special music for the offering that night, and also I'll be sharing some scripture, but we kind of all come together in our ministerial and we're doing this together. So we want to encourage you to come out. It'll be at Zion Lutheran Church at 6.30 p.m. in Tinley Park. So Zion Lutheran Church, Tinley Park. And we want you to come out and be a part of that at 6.30 p.m. next Sunday night. Well, with that, we're going to go jump back into our series of Finding Your Joy through the Word of God. And, and we've been talking all this year about finding your joy in a journey and all the different places that you can find it. And so we want to encourage you to just uh, look for ways to find God's joy because it kind of, kind of comes this way. Joy needs to be experienced in a journey of life, but joy, like any other attitude, can come and go. It is not guaranteed simply because we are born-again believers. We must put ourselves in the places where experiencing joy is a possibility. We need to go after and find our joy in the journey of life. So what are you doing to cultivate joy in your life? And remember, joy is a choice. You get to choose joy or not. And one of the ways that we have been talking about recently is that we find joy in the journey of life through the Bible, through God's Word. Uh, I've been highlighting to you uh, Psalm 119. We talked a little bit about it last week. But I want to remind you that God's written Word, the Bible, when followed and obeyed, gives joy to our hearts and revives our souls from the ravages of sin. We live in a sin-filled world. We make mistakes. We do things wrong. Sin impacts us. But with God's word, we discover that if we try and follow God's word with our whole heart, mind, and soul, he promises to bless us. He promises to encourage us. He promises to be there for us. And as you've been looking at Psalm 119, you should have been discovered. And by the way, how many have read it? I kind of challenge some of you, hey, awesome, a lot of you have read Psalm 119. So I challenge you, if you haven't read Psalm 119, it is the longest chapter in the Bible, by the way, 176 verses. But out of those 176 verses, 171 of them talk about God's Word. Now, I'll use different names like law and stuff like that. Now, I'll kind of let you know about that in a moment. We'll get there and talk a little bit about that. But I really want you to challenge you to think about God's Word and how awesome and great God's Word really is. And so I want to look in Psalm 119 at verse 18, and I've kind of got three different translations of the Bible for you to kind of make my point. But listen to what this one says. In the NIV, it says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law, which is the Bible, so open my eyes, says the psalmist, to see wonderful things in the Bible. 
And then there's another way that they, they word it in the contemporary English version. They say, open my mind and let me discover the wonders of your law or your Bible or your word. And then there's the New Living Translation. It says, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions, which is God's word. So there's this kind of this little prayer being prayed by the author of Psalm 119. And then once again, just to remind you, they're not exactly sure who wrote Psalm. They think it might have been Daniel. They think it might have been David. They think it might have been Ezra. I kind of lean more toward Daniel in Psalm 119. I don't know if you caught it when you were reading it, but he talks about them digging a pit and throwing them in it. How many had caught that verse? And so we know Daniel was thrown in the lions then with the lions. And so he talks about praying three times a day. And Daniel prayed three times a day, we know from the book of Daniel. So I kind of lean toward Daniel as kind of the author of this psalm. But the idea behind it is, is he's saying, Lord, open my eyes to see the wonder of your word, of your holy word. And I guess my question that I want to ask you today is, are your eyes open to the wonder, the majesty, the uniqueness, the powerfulness of this thing called God's word? Because it's still relevant today like it was thousands of years ago. It's still changing lives like it did thousands of years ago. And then I have another verse in Psalm 119 I want to draw your attention to. And this one is found in verse 27. It says, cause me to understand the way of your precepts or your teachings, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. Have you meditated lately on God's wonderful deeds? And they're connected with the Bible, by the way. They're connected with Jesus. They're connected with the Bible. They're connected with the Holy Spirit. Contemporary English version words it this way. Help me to understand your teachings, and I will think about your marvelous deeds. And then the New Living Translation again says, help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. Have you, have you been meditating or thinking lately on the wonderful deeds that are spoken about in the Bible, that are a result of the Bible as the Bible impacts somebody's lives, as we hear testimony upon testimony of how God's word has spoken to someone in a moment when they needed to hear it the most? And so the Bible is filled with miraculous things and and so I'm just going to take a few moments here and I'm going to just talk about some of the miraculous things to help us meditate upon how wonderful God's word is and to remind us how unique it is to remind us how it is his word and how it has been around for generation upon generation and will continue to be around for generations to come but let's listen to some of these things the Bible is a book like no other the sacred text can arguably be considered the most influential book ever published or ever written as you look at the many years it has impacted people on all these different continents in the world. And it's impacted billions of people and billions of lives. Author Pink said the influence of the Bible is worldwide. There is no other book like the Bible that has influenced every continent on the face of the earth and almost every people group that's out there. Now, I heard and recently read that they think within the next 10 years or so that every people group on the face of the earth will have heard the scriptures or heard the Bible. I think they're down to thinking there's only a few small groups that are left, some isolated tribes and stuff. But the word of God is out there pretty much around the world in 97% of the world. He goes on to say, its mighty power has affected every department of human activity. The contents of the scriptures have supplied themes for the greatest poets, artists, 
and musicians which the world has yet produced and have been the mightiest factor of all in shaping the moral progress of the human race. And then he goes on to say, you know, that the Bible is, of course, we've been saying it, and I've been saying it, is a bestseller. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, it says Guinness Book of World Records says uh, that since 1815, the Bible has sold approximately 5 billion copies and been translated into 2,200 different languages. Think about how amazing this book is. To be able to be cross-cultural, to be able to impact somebody in China and impact somebody in the United States, to impact somebody in the former Soviet Union and impact somebody in South America, to impact somebody in the Antarctica and impact someone in the Arctic. All these things, it's amazing what the Bible has done from generation to generation to generation. See, the Bible's influence, though, is not just limited to Christians. I don't know if you knew that. But as a matter of fact, the Bible has impacted the Jewish nation and the Jewish religion. You know, they, they embrace the Old Testament. They don't really embrace the New Testament, but for the most part, they embrace the Old Testament. And, you know, there's, there's, as we look at this, there's 2 billion Christians in the world. Then you add in 14 million Jewish individuals who have been impacted by God's holy word. And then you throw in another group of people called the Muslims. As you know, the Muslims look at the Bible as a sacred text. Now, they supplement the Bible with their Quran, which the Bible kind of condemns, but yet they also look at the Bible as having significant sacred teachings to them. And then if you look at them, there's 1.3 billion Muslims in the world. So you start adding up all these billions of people that are impacted one way or another directly or indirectly from the Bible, and it becomes pretty amazing of how the Bible has influenced so many different people groups on the face of the earth. The Bible widely used in American society and in establishing our nation. You don't hear that much in our Christian or in our history textbooks unless you're in a Christian school. See, and, and interesting enough, when the Bible was, when the nation was first formed, the United States Congress kind of passed this rule in 1782. The Congress printed a Bible for America and said this. This is true. The United States and Congress assembled recommended this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States, a neat edition of the Holy Scriptures for the use in public school. So back in 1782, they passed a resolution to have the Bible be a part of your public education in the United States. And by the way, that happened up until the 20th century. And then if you look at it, it's interesting that the New England Primer, which was one of the first things used for teaching reading in school for young kids, was the Primer. And the Primer was basically designed uh, from the alphabet of uh, A, B, C, D. And, and if you look at it, it's kind of interesting because they would, be learning, they would be learning how to read by this. And it says, A would be this. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. B, better is little with fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. And so this New England primer would teach kids to read using Bible verses A to Z. And I find that interesting because you don't hear that much anymore in our society. But I do want to recommend David Barton to you. David Barton is the founder of Wall Builders. Wall Builders is an organization that is dedicated to allowing us to know our history as the nation of, uh, uh, and of Christian, as a Christian nation. And he's written a lot of great books. You can look them up online, The Myth of Separation. 
what happened in education, keys to good government according to the founding fathers, America's Godly Heritage is another book he wrote as well. So I highly recommend you pick those books up because they will illuminate your heart to how important the Bible has been in building and designing the system that we live with here in the United States. Now, it's interesting, if you continue to read on, our U.S. government, according to David Barton and according to a lot of quotations from the founding of our nation, uh, kind of highlights this. He says, James Kent cites 1 Samuel chapter 7, 15 to 16, with the formation of circuit courts that we have in the United States. Also, if you go into Isaiah 33, 22, they quoted Isaiah 33, 22 in the founding of our, the United States as why we should have three branches of government within the United States. As a matter of fact, they quoted it this way as to why we should have our three legend, different branches of the United States, and they word it like this. According to the Bible, man will only begin to do what is good when God changes his heart, and then they quote Romans 6, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So without a life changed by God, mankind is naturally inclined to do what is wrong. So therefore, we should establish three branches of government in the United States to keep people in check. How many know that's a good thing, amen? And so that was kind of uh, uh, designed back then. The founders firmly held to this biblical view, and that's why they, the, according to David Barton and his book, why they structured the United States with the three different branches of government. John Adams said this, the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. And that's, that's one of our own presidents making that statement. You see, the Bible has especially been influential in our American society. We don't hear it that much anymore because, well, a few years back, we decided to take God out of school, right? How many think that's gone well for schools? I mean, I think it's sad, all the school shootings you continue to hear over and over again. It's just really, really sad. But it's like we've thrown God out of the public school system and allowed everything else to come in that is not biblical. And so I think we need to be rooted and grounded in our Christian heritage because, you know, as I continue to read from our founding fathers, they saw it was absolutely essential for the success of the United States. Um, and you can, you know, the, see, we, we need to understand the influence of the Bible has been tremendous upon our nation. It has impacted so many different aspects of our government. It has impacted so many aspects of our leadership. And, and George Washington said this. He said, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly implore his protection and favor. He also went on to say, true religion affords to government its surest support. He also went on to say, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. George Washington, our first president, made that statement. And then you read on, Abraham Lincoln also highlighted the Bible in his administration. In regards to this great book, the Bible, I have but to say it's the best gift God has given to man. All the good the Savior gave to the world was communicated through this book. But for it, we could not know right from wrong. All things most desirable for man's welfare here and hereafter are found portrayed in the Bible, according to Abraham Lincoln. 
He said this too about this. I am busily engaged in the study of the Bible every single day to help me lead this nation. He also said this nation is under God. And he said that at the Gettysburg Address, and it's inscribed on the Lincoln Memorial. But he made it very clear that this nation was formed under God. And by the way, there's only two nations in the world that are formed with a covenant. If you go look at their history and how they were formed. One nation is a nation of Israel. The second is the United States of America, where they made a covenant with God. After George Washington was sworn in as president of the United States, after he was sworn in, he took the whole delegation of everybody. They went down to, I think it's St. Paul's Church there, which is now in New York City, which was at the point of ground 911. And he got on his knees and they dedicated our nation to God back there when they founded this nation. And so we see the Bible as being an active part of our, uh, of our establishment as, as a nation. And I can read quotes from Ben Franklin quoting about the importance of the Bible in society why it needs to be uh, a part of who we are. And I'll quote another one. Dwight D. Eisenhower, one of our other presidents, said this. Without God, there could be no American form of government, nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. Thus, the founding fathers of America saw it, and thus, with God's help, it will continue to be. Dwight D. Eisenhower. And I can quote you president upon president. I can quote congressmen upon congressmen. I can quote judges upon judges that are always pointing us back, telling us how important the Bible should be in our lives. And so I just want to challenge you. We need to get into it. It's where you find joy in a journey. It's where you find wisdom. If you've been reading Psalm 119, you discover very clearly that it has a lot of things to say about how we should live our life. And our author of this psalm talks about how important it is that it protects them, encourages him, guides him, gives him wisdom, gives him understanding, gives him joy, helps him rejoice, helps him deal with this crisis and that crisis. It's important for us to make sure that we are in our word and that it is influencing each and every one of us in our society. You know, the Bible hasn't just impacted society in regards to government and impacted society in regards to other things that I've talked about. It's also influenced our language, according to this one study that I was looking at this, uh, this week as well. You see, the existence of the Bible as a book for the people is the greatest benefit what the human race has ever experienced. Every attempt to belittle it is a crime against humanity, and a person who said that was Immanuel Kant. Now, subjects in the Bible that are highlighted include things like government, leadership, sociology, psychology, archaeology, economics, abortion, LGBT issues, math, philosophy, astrology, science, geology, war, military, mapology, family, marriage, history, theology, end times, afterlife, alcoholism, idol worship, materialism, riches, work, relationships, genealogies, reading, language, religion, angelology, and a host of other topics, but I want to focus in on language for a moment. How has the Bible influenced our language? It's been around for thousands of years. While the Bible has influenced our society through the impact of our language on the words that we use every single day that we don't know that they've come from the root of the Hebrew. Over 22,000 English words have their root in Hebrew. That's more than the roots of Greek, Latin, and French all put together, by the way. And, in, and it's interesting, the Bible is quoted more often than any other piece of literature in history and has more influence on our language, culture, and the laws than any other book or idea ever published. 
A recent book by the linguistist David Crystal, appropriately called Begot, the King James Bible in the English language, counts 257 phrases from the King James Bible in contemporary English idiom. For example, words like gave up the ghosts came out of Genesis 35, 29. Out of the mouth of babes. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Psalm 8, 2. Put words in my mouth. Jeremiah 1, 9. Feet of clay. Daniel 2, 33. Salt of the earth. Matthew 5, 13. Fought the good fight. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Turned the world upside down. Acts 17, 6. God forbid, Romans 3, 4, take root, 2 Kings 19, 30. The powers that be, Romans 13, 1. Uh, no peace for the wicked, Isaiah 57, 21. A fly in the ointment, Ecclesiastes 10, 1. Wheels within wheels, Ezekiel 10, 10. The blind leading the blind, Matthew 15, 13. Just to name a few. You see the impact of the Bible on our society? I mean, yeah, we know, we know that it's been around for a long time. We hear people testify about how great the Bible is and, and, and testify, but it has influenced every aspect of society if we are willing to look at it, if we're willing to take the time to examine it. And, you know, some famous men who have praised the Bible, Tennyson considered Bible reading an education in itself, while Dickens called the New Testament the very best book that ever was or ever will be known to the world, according to Charles Dickens. And, 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 you can, and I can keep quoting more and more people that talk about the importance of how the Bible has impacted American literature. Some of the classics, Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, Influenced by the Bible, The Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison, Moby Dick by Herman Melville, The Scarlet Leather by Nathaniel Hawthorne, and how about Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe? This book contains almost 100 quotations or direct references from the Bible. Can I hear an amen? The Bible is so powerful, it impacts literature, it impacts education, it impacts politics, it impacts our nation, it will impact your family, it will impact your life, it will impact, you know, more than you can imagine. It's impacted the, our films that are out there. Think of some of the films that have been impacted by biblical themes. The Passion of the Christ. How about Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments, right? the old classic, or how about Bruce Almighty, some more modern ones, Evan Almighty, how about that one, Son of God movie that came out a while back, how about Armageddon, how about the Chronicles of Narnia, how about the Lord of the Rings series, how about the Prince of Egypt, how about the Matrix, Chariots of Fire, and I can think of a host of others that can go into this cat. even Star Wars has some references, biblical references in it, how big, how strong is the Word of God? It impacts literature, it impacts language, it impacts our everyday life, at least it should. But the Bible has also impacted art. The Bible has also influenced society by its presence in great art throughout history. If you visit the great museums in Europe and America, like the Louvre or the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, you'll find many paintings whose subjects are inspired by the Bible. Famous biblical art include Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, his Statue of David, the Sistine Chapel in Italy is famous for its ceilings painted by Michelangelo, which is bursting with beauty from biblical scenes. In Tate Museum in London, you're finding engravings by William Blake on the Book of Job. Botticelli delights with his painting on the Adoration of the Magi at the Galleria in Degli Uffizi in Florence. 
The painting of David with the head of Goliath by Caravaggio is also well known. And I, and I could go on and on, but it has influenced art as well if you take a look around. Yeah, we're living in a society now that is kind of anti-biblical and pushes, tries to push the Bible out of everything that's going on in our society because there's these who have kind of taken some positions of power and authority that want to push the Bible out. And the sad thing is, is a lot of the ones who are producing movies and media and stuff want to push the Bible out. They want to kind of degrade the Bible, show it as irrelevant, out of date, out of touch, and yet that is the furthest from the truth. It is not out of date. It is not irrelevant. It is still relevant for us today. And whether you want to believe it or not, the USA is a covenant Christian nation, was formed that way, and we were formed as one nation under God. And the Christian majority is still the largest group in America today, according to a 2012 poll. And Christians uniting in Christ is, is, is where our nation gets its source of unity, and I think it gets our source of protection as well. And our founding fathers knew that if we stay rooted in the Bible and stay rooted in the teachings of Jesus Christ, our nation would love, live on for century upon century upon century. But if we deviated from the Bible, our whole form of government would be in danger of collapse. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to wake up the church, amen? I say it to say that the Bible is still relevant for today, and that's why we need to get into it. It's why we need to read it. It's why we need to know what it says. If we don't know what it says, how can it impact us? How can we marvel at the deeds of the Bible and how the Bible has done all these things? And, and are you in awe of what the Bible has done for our nation and for the nation of Israel and for other nations? And I know uh, like uh, there's been some other nations that have recently made covenants and rededicated their, their selves to God. Uganda is one of them, by the way. Back in the year 2000, Uganda, which you all know about Idi Amin. How many have heard of Idi Amin and all the atrocities he did? Well, the nation got together under their new president, and they asked and repented to God for all the sins of their forefathers who ran the government, especially Idi Amin, and all the thousands and thousands of people he killed. And then in the year 2000, they rededicated Uganda to God Almighty of the Bible, and they made a covenant with him as a nation. And you can go, you can go look at it online and stuff like that. And they gave their, their whole country back to God. And how many of you know, Uganda has seen tremendous prosperity since they've done that. Why? Because when you get God involved, things happen. God's there to move mountains. God's there to protect. God's there to intercede. God's there to touch family units. God's there to deliver and set people free from the bondages of sin. And so we need to be reminded of how important God's Word is and how it has impacted so many different people across this globe. And so I just want to challenge you to think about that, you know. You know, and, and, you know, by the way, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, the Bible is not real relevant to science. Really, here's some interesting things that science should know about the Bible. The Bible indicates that the earth is round, not flat, even though most of the world at the time believed that the earth was flat. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21 to 22 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? It sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. 
And that's not the only reference to the earth being round. Proverbs 8.27 says, I was there when he set the heavens in place. He marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. And then Job 26.10, he said, he is inscribed a circle. By the way, Job is the oldest book written in the Bible. And some think it dates back three to 4,000 years. And it says he has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness of the earth. And then it's interesting that in Job also, Job 26, 7, it says that the Bible, that the earth is suspended in space. How would they know that thousands of years ago unless God revealed it to them? God stretches the northern sky over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing. Isn't that amazing? That's before satellites, by the way. <laughs> That's before they had pictures of the earth. Before they could see it, the Bible's telling us the earth is a spear and it hangs in space. It also says, though, just so you know, God's word says that the earth will wear out, by the way. Psalm 102, 25 to 26 addresses this. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded. So there's this thing that our, our earth is going to wear out, but God promises to come back in and renew it. Amen? I think that happens when Jesus comes back, by the way. And I look at the Bible, and it continues to amaze me year after year, year day after day. And, and I'm amazed again that, did you know there's 50 Bibles that are sold every minute today? 50 Bibles are sold every minute in the world. Did you know that the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God? Now, I just threw that in there to kind of make you think about that. But yet it's in the Bible because it was written about how God spared a nation without ever using his name. But you see, that's how God works in history. He doesn't always announce himself, but he's behind the scenes making everything come together like it's supposed to be. That's the amazing thing of God, the awesome thing of why we should marvel at his deeds and marvel at his word and how it continues to impact nations like the Babylonian nation and the Assyrian nation and the Roman Empire. And I could go back into England and Germany and you want me, I can run the, the gamut of how the Bible has influenced all these different countries. By the way, there is a Bible in the U University of Göttingen that is written on 2,000 470 palm leaves. Someone hand wrote it on all these palm leaves, and it's still in existence today. And, and, and this, you know, there's some that have kind of, you know, there's another Bible. I'll read you this one. In 1631, two London Bible printers accidentally left out the word not out of the seventh commandment, which then read, thou shalt commit adultery. By the way, there were only six of those that were printed. You can now buy one for $90,000 if you want that, your Bible to say you can commit adultery. They sell for nine, they go for about 90,000 bucks. I find it amazing of how relevant the Bible is, but I also find it amazing things that we do that really aren't in the Bible. Like we're told in a court of law that we need to swear on the Bible to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, right? By the way, the Bible tells you not to do that. Did you know that? So sometimes people get it wrong. Sometimes we, we don't always understand things. Like, you know, I've heard people say, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, and that's in the Bible, and actually it's not. John Wesley said it, by the way, if you wanted to know. Well, it's not in the Bible, and it's a good thing, but we really need to know what the Bible says. What does the Bible say and not say? 
And, 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 you know, we need to get into it and understand that, you know, the Bible is still impacting nations. There's an organization, it's a true story, there is an organization that illegally parachutes copies of the Bible into North Korea every single year. They, they actually fly over in a plane and they parachute Bibles into North Korea so people can get a hold of the Holy Scriptures because they're banned in North Korea. Isn't that amazing that people would actually do that? That people would be driven so much by the truth of Scripture they would actually do something like that? And, and you know, I can go on, but, you know, let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Amen? Jesus claims to be God in John chapter 10, verse 30 and 33. He says, I am the Father or one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you're a mere man who claim to be God. They knew he claimed to be God. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, 1 through 5, Jesus is associated with God's word. Listen to what it says here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus preached on hell more than any other person in the Bible. You see all the different messages he has about it. He says he is the only way to heaven, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you can read on it and on, but Jesus is the only way according to the Bible. He is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. If you looked into the prophecies of the Bible, there are over 2,000 prophecies of the Old Testament that have already been fulfilled, which were declared thousands of years before they were fulfilled. There's actually approximately 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, and there's about 500 that have not been fulfilled yet out of 2,500. So it shows we're getting closer to the end time because there's this promise that they will all be fulfilled by the time we get to the end time. But I find it interesting that the Bible prophesied about people turning away from God's word, God's Bible in the end time, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. The time will come when people will not listen to the truth. They will look for teachers who will tell them only what they want to hear. They will not listen to the truth. Instead, they will listen to stories made up by men. And how many know we kind of see some of that going on today, don't we? We see people that are opposed to the Bible and fight against the Bible. It's not the first time, by the way. I like what Martin Luther said at one time. He said, I find it amazing how all these people have fought against the Bible, and yet they're all gone. They've all died. They've all passed away. Empires that fought against the Bible no longer exist. And Martin Luther said, but the Bible still goes on and on and on. You can't wipe it out because God's protection is on the Bible. It's his word. You can't wipe out God's word. I don't care if Congress tries to wipe it out. I don't know how many watched the Democratic Convention. It was about four or five years ago when they were all chanting, no God, no God. And they didn't want any God in their Democratic Convention. You can go watch it on YouTube, by the way, to show you I'm not making it up. And it doesn't matter if nations do that. God's still going to get his word out, amen? He's still going to speak to people personally, individually. 
We had a young man come last week. And after service, he came up and he talked to me. He says, uh, he was kind of really quiet and he kind of whispered. He goes, uh, I just want you to know that uh, I, don't, I don't know, I, I haven't been to church in years and years and years and years, but I really felt the presence of God. I says, well, that's good. <laughs> and he wasn't so sure, you know, but he said, I really felt it. He said, I actually prayed before I, I came that I really wanted to experience God if he was really real. And he says, and I want you to know I experienced them today in the service. What a challenge, right? We can all experience God like that. All you do is ask. All you got to do is honor his word. All the way through Psalm 119, over and over, it challenges us to connect with the Bible. You know, I'm going to just read you a few verses just to kind of, you know, we'll go back to the beginning. And it says in Psalm 119, verse 1 and 2, Joy for our people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joy for those who obey his laws and search for him with all of their hearts. There's a promise in that. That if you search for God with all of your heart, you're going to find joy. You're going to be, as it says in the NIV version, blessed by God. Those who keep his law, keep his word, and seek him with all their hearts will be blessed. And, and I can say that's why our nation's been blessed for as long as it has. And then you can read on in verse 11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. Think about that thought for a moment. I have rejoiced in your law more than in riches. See, riches won't bring joy to your heart, but you know what will? God's word. I don't care how rich you are. If you don't have God's word in your heart and you're meditating on it, letting it impact you, you're never going to find joy. You're never going to be able to rejoice. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Notice the promise there. How many people today have forgotten God's word? Let it drift to the side while everything else chokes it out. And you can read it in the NIV there. Or how about Psalm 119, which we just read a little bit ago. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Maybe we need to pray that today. Lord, open my eyes. Maybe our eyes need to be open today to the truth. And then verse 24 says, your laws please me. They give me wise advice. I don't know about you, but if you want wisdom, if you want to be able to use knowledge rightly and correctly, you have to tap into the Bible and you have to tap into God because God is the one who gives wisdom. Wisdom is not man-made, it is God-given. And it's only when God gives it to you that you can use knowledge rightly and correctly. Or how about this thought? Psalm 119 Verse 25, there's a few here. I told you my plans and you answered. Now teach me your decrees. Think about that for what he says there. I told, hey, Lord, I had everything laid out. This is what it should look like. This is what I should do. And then you came along and you taught me, hey, you need to go this way. <laughs> you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is sometimes hearing what God wants you to do with your life, not what you tell God you want him to do with your life. Amen? I'm just saying. 27. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. We've looked at that verse. How about this one? I love this one in verse 29. Keep me from lying to myself. Can I say that again? Keep me from lying to myself. How many think we lie to ourselves a lot? 
Give me the privilege of knowing your instruction, your word. In other words, I get into your word because if I don't get into your word, I lie to myself. I deceive myself. I listen to other voices that are not voices from you, and they deceive me and lie to me. But if I get into your word, I don't lie to myself. I hear the truth because the truth comes from your word. Psalm 119, 33 to 40 is another section. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all of my heart. Verse 35, make me walk along the path of your commands for that is where my happiness is found. There it is again. Make me walk along the path of your commands because that's where happiness is found. That's where joy is found. And then 37, turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. How many of you know that's a great prayer too, right? Amen. So let me wrap this up. God's written word is given to us. And if we follow it and obey what it says, we're going we're to have joy in our hearts. We're going to be blessed. He's going to revive our souls from the ravages of sin. He's going to be there for us. And, and yes, I know every one of us makes mistakes. Please listen to me. I get that. That's what thing called grace is all about. Amen. Grace is okay. I blew it. I made a mistake. So what do I need to do? Ask the Lord to forgive you. And guess what he does? He'll forgive you, and he'll be there for you. I was, I was listening to uh, uh, a song this, this morning as I was praying in the gym all about how amazing God's grace is, and it is really amazing if you think about it. No matter how many times I blow it or do something wrong, I can go to God, and he promises to forgive me. That's amazing grace, and that's part of uh, meditating on the marvelous deeds of the Bible is how grace is such a major role in this whole thing. So let's, let's kind of figure out what we learned today, all right? What do we need to learn or know from this message? If you want to find joy in a journey of life, you will discover it in the truths of the Bible. And that's what Psalm 119 over and over and over and over again says. So if you haven't read it, take the time to read it this week. Secondly, why do we need to know this? If we want joy, how many want joy? Raise your hand. If we really want joy, then, and everyone agree, we all want joy, but joy is not found in riches, it's found in following the teachings of the Bible. To find joy means we need to know what the Bible teaches, which means we need to get in it, which means we need to read it, which means we listen, need to listen to messages. We, we need to uh, listen to the Bible. You can watch the visual Bible. You can watch movies that are written about the Bible. We should be focusing our life on a biblical worldview and not the worldview of a secular worldview or a naturalistic worldview or a scientific worldview. We need to be focusing our worldview on the Bible. So why do we need to do this? If we learn the truths of the Bible, then we will find joy in a journey of life. And the Bible is the ticket to joy. So I think we need to go and we need to rediscover the Bible. Amen? This is going to conclude my series on finding joy in the journey through the Word. Because next week, of course, is going to be our Thanksgiving service. And, and we encourage you to bring people out. But I just want to challenge you. Read Psalm 119 again this week if you haven't read it. Get into your Bibles. Do a Bible reading program. You can jump aboard any of them. Use the UVerse app. It has a great app for listening to the Bible, reading the Bible. You can even listen to devotions on it if you're not a, a big reader. But I just challenge you, get into God's Word because it'll change the way you think. It'll change your perspective. It'll give you joy. It'll encourage you. Amen? All right, let's stand as we're going to close today. 
Lord, we thank you for your Bible. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lead, guide, and direct each of us with your Bible. We pray that as we get into our Bibles this week, that you would speak to us directly, that we would have our eyes open to remember the wonderful deeds that you have done, to remember the wonderful things that are revealed through Scripture, God, that you give us the ability to be able to live our life in connection with your word, that it can help us make decisions on an everyday basis as we learn your word. And it reminds us of story upon story, true story upon true story of lives that were changed by you, Lord. How you came in and intervened in someone's life and did a miracle and how you did this for that person or this for that person in a tough situation. So Lord, remind us of how true your word is. And Lord, I pray that we would truly meditate upon all your marvelous deeds that are revealed through the Bible this week. And help that apply into our own everyday life so that we can continue to see how you're moving in each of our lives as we allow you to have free reign. And as we love you with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and all of our strength in the church. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. If you need prayer, prayer team members will be down front. We'll be happy to pray with you. The rest of you, God bless you. Have a great week.